We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. Uh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another classic album review. We've done what two of these, Robbie? We did rumors and what's, what's the story? story? Morning yeah. glory. Yeah. So. To quell any, you know, fear or anything like that, we're not playing any clips of the songs of this incredible album because I know that's everybody's fear. But today we are talking American Idiot by Green Day. One of my personal favorite records. Me and Robbie have bonded over this record. I know that for a fact. And it's something that I've recently gotten into so heavily. I don't know what it is, but I think it got fed to me on a Spotify playlist. Yeah. And I was like, we need to fucking talk about this. So first off, Robbie, how old were you when this dropped? This is September 21st, 2004. I had just turned six. Fuck and, you. And this was everything to a six-year-old uh, yeah. box. I mean, the Bullet in the Bible live album yeah. of this, I listened to until that CD broke. It was just like every day, me and my friend Chris would put that on. Remember, we would like try to see if we could hold out our lungs for the big holiday <laughs> at the end of that song. Like This was probably my first like true favorite album. Yeah. Did you did perfect. you ever do the eyeliner? Oh yeah, I mean not as a kid, but more like when I started getting into it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, gotta do the eyeliner, dude. I told you my uh, high school band uniform was yeah. basically the Billy Joe. Like we we wore all black and a red tie. Oh yeah, because red was our school color. Yeah. So it was like every time we, I had to put that on, I was kind of like you know rolling my sleeves up, acting like Billy Joe. This was the first poster I had on my wall. It was Mike Darren, Trey Cool, and Billy Joe standing there, emo makeup out. It was above my bed. My wall had so many posts on it. It was above my bed, that post. And my dad just looked at that, and he's like, the fuck are you listening to? <laughs> he was like, this is my dad's all classic rock. But this, to me, I was sixth grade. This was sixth grade for me. So not old, but not a child. And this was, like, the most important album to me at that point. And it was, like, such a great period of time in rock. And this was kind of, like, a turning point period because this was this, and then In Your Honor was right after that. Yeah. And I want to get into the similarities between the two albums sonically, but this album was so goddamn important, not only to rock and roll, but to Green Day. Because this was a resurgent album. We're going to get into the history and all that, but I just, like, first and foremost, this record to me... I don't, is this like the birth of emo in a weird way? I don't know, like, stylistically. Like, 2004 wasn't prime emo yet. It was getting there. But, like, is this an emo album? I always look at this as almost like an alternative rock album yes. where a lot of their earlier stuff was like more the pop punk yeah. or punk, straight up punk. Like people call Dookie pop punk all the time. Oh, yeah. They say that's the start of pop punk. And I'm always like, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's just, just like punk, punk rock. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, it's got to be, it's before Black Parade, which yep. was another thing that like, another one, it didn't, Black Parade wasn't quite as big as this album, yeah. but it was one of the last big rock albums and both of them kind of had that emo flair. I thought about Blackberry today when I was uh, listening to What's Her Name, last song on the record. One that, of my favorite Green Day songs. That outro yeah. is so Black Parade. Wait, explodes and shit. It's yeah. so Black Parade. And uh, like the influence that this had on bands for the next probably 10 years after okay. that, humongous. And there's nothing that I am more excited to do than talk about each of these songs individually, which we will get into. We're talking about facts from the album, where they were in their career, all that. Let's start like we always do. Let's start with the facts. Yep. As you said, seventh studio album uh, off Reprise Records. It was released on September 21st, 2004. It was produced by Rob Cavallo. Uh, Billy Joe, Mike, and Trey Cool also have production credits as well. Because if you watch, did you ever watch the documentary? Uh, I have, yeah. Um, uh, Heart Like a Hand Grenade. Heart Like a Hand Grenade. And then they made another documentary on the Broadway show where they kind of go into some of this as well. 
We talked about this right before we got on air. You've seen the Broadway show, right? I was at the first dress rehearsal Jesus for the Broadway Christ. show. All right, what was it? What was what was it like? Because I, I haven't seen anything. It, about it was it. really cool. Like if you're if you're a Broadway fan, yeah. I, I can't imagine Broadway fans saw that and were like, "This is revolutionary. This right. is awesome." But if you're a Green Day fan, right. it's awesome. It's like going to. I mean, you're literally going. And they don't. It's not just American Idiot. They weaved American Idiot and 21st Century Breakdown together no shit. to tell, like, kind of, like, a longer story. Right. And it was really cool. They had, like, different characters. What's-her-name was a character. St. Saint Saint Jimmy. Jimmy's a character. Yeah. Billy Joe played St. Jimmy on Broadway for a while. I didn't did get he? to see him yeah. as St. Jimmy, but he did, like, a long stint as St. Jimmy on yeah. Broadway. That would have been awesome. And they had, like, live band on stage every night, throwing out sticks to the oh. crowd and shit. It was really cool. And then they toured with it for a while. There is... Because it's a rock opera, right? They're gonna you're yeah. gonna say it's a rock. Totally. It is a punk rock rock opera set in like the fucking guise of like the Iraq War. Yeah. Like it is a heavy fucking album, but like you know they'd say rock opera. There's been like a couple rock operas that you can think of, Quadrophenia, things like that. But if there was ever one you could take to Broadway, there are so many songs on this record that feel like they're like Broadway soliloquies. Like totally. that you could step. At, did they do that on the Broadway? Oh yeah, and yeah. The, and the way that they weave in. The different songs do the melodies. They do the thing that American Idiot does where, like, one song will go right into the next. Like, when you listen on Spotify at this point, songs are literally, like, paired together. I was going to say, it's a 13-song record if you get the CD, but yeah. on Spotify, half the songs are split. Which is a little bit annoying. It's annoying as fuck. Yeah. Like, I, sometimes I just want to listen to Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I don't want to listen to Holiday before yeah. it. You know what I mean? But, but as I was listening to it on the way in, I really was like, damn, the songs that they paired together, like the Give Me Novocaine, She's a Oh, they're the perfect like side one, side two, parallel to each other. One's a little softer. One's crazy. Are we the waiting into Saint Jimmy? Oh, it's like, per- the, like I, such a beautiful melodic I'm take, song. I'm, I'm take my jacket off. I'm getting hyped. <laughs> and now. then you go into fucking Saint Jimmy, and it like the beginning guitar of that sounds like a fucking piercing switchblade coming out or something. You know, I'm getting now. I'm getting comfortable. I'm excited. Yeah, it's but we're talking rock and roll. God damn it! Like this is so nice. On our podcast, we always wind up going back to rap. And you I'm know. also looking at some of the other things that. Uh, Rob Cavillo has produced. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, the list is unbelievable. Speaking of the Black Parade, he produced the Black Parade. He produced uh, Goo Goo Dolls, Iris. Uh, Ever heard of it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of Phil Collins from this Tarzan soundtrack. Alanis Morissette, Uninvited from City of Angels soundtrack. Paramore Decode from the Twilight soundtrack. This guy's got an unbelievable resume. So, Rob, open invite to the podcast, obviously. Yeah, for real. Uh, I didn't know this, actually. It was recorded at Studio 880 in Oakland, because they are a Bay Area band. Uh, And then Ocean Way in Hollywood, because, of course, it has to be a Hollywood album, too. Uh, But the thing to me that's amazing about this record is it's a departure, but it's kind of an amalgamation of everything they had done previously. Mm-hmm. Think about it. It kind of has these moments. Like, There's a few songs on the record that feel like classic like Insomniac Green Day, yeah. but it was following Warning, and I love Warning. We were talking about, we were this, talking recently, about this recently. Yeah. I love Warning. Same. Warning got shit on by the critics. Crazy, man. Critics hated Warning, which I don't understand. It's like got like this folky kind of Celtic element to it in yeah, some aspects. A lot of acoustic guitar all over the record, which I talked to one of the day we were talking about this. I was talking to my brother about it as yeah. well. And I was like, dude, like, why were people so down on it? Yeah. And he was like, I'm, he's like, I love it. My brother loves it. Yeah. Like, my best theory was Nimrod went so hard before it. Facts. It was such a hard record. Yeah. When they come out with this, it's like Green Day going pop. Oh, Insomniac and Nimrod both after Dookie got like darker and darker. Yeah. 
And then, of course, you got to stretch your legs from time to time. And then you do, like, a Macy's Day Parade song. Which oh, it's like, so you know, good. It's like, oh, my God, what a oh. great song. By the way, we didn't even mention, like, it also followed, it was International Superheads was before yeah. this. That's like Maria the, on it. Maria, Pop Rocks and Coke. Like, that is, like, that is the CD that taught me how to sing harmonies. Like, yeah. as a musician, it taught me how to sing harmonies. And that's another thing about this that I was thinking about on the way in. Like, there's so many moments on it where they with their musicality on display and oh. it's like oh my god these guys are talented but then there's so many moments where it's like these could be the first song that a guitar player learns I'm and it's just the most tasteful melodic playing there is dude it is one of the first albums that i remember playing along to yeah. and me and you were talking about this yesterday to any musicians out there who've ever tried to play along to this record or cover these songs billy joe armstrong fucked everybody up because for some reason he tuned all the guitars up a half step so anything you play in E is an F. Everything you play in C is in C sharp. So as crazy. Don't they? Usually you would tune down a half step. No. Well, that's the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing. Jimi Hendrix did it. They tuned down a half step. Yeah. I guess this is because he has such a high, like a higher register voice. Interesting. But I think I, Sweet Child of Mine is a half step up. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know what it is about this record. But there, there's like so many aspects of this that I fucking love. The fact that it's the blending of their previous albums, where there's so many acoustic guitars on this album, they yeah. layer everything. Um, but yeah, we'll get into where they are in their career, but real quick, just to wrap up the facts, uh, 267,000 uh, albums first week, and that's wow. pure sales, which is just... People going to Best Buy and picking up CDs. Yes, back and back. I had two copies. I had Bullet uh, in a Bible, and I had American Idiot, yeah. and I probably had the Deluxe, too. Uh, but first year, did 3.4 million records, and as of 2014, did 6.2. Uh, it's their second highest selling album of all time. What's number one? Dookie? It's Diamonds. Still, wow. Yeah. Shouts crazy. out to Kenny Clark, Heat Diamond Boy, obviously. Uh, That's that picture is so baller. Dude. The black. Oh, I hate that guy. Because <laughs> uh, now we can just hold it over my head forever. Uh, Kenny's a man. Uh, but let's go, let's kind of like walk before we get into a breakdown. But where they were in their career, as we said, they were coming off this kind of like a down period. Warning was a down period, obviously. Um, and they were kind of lost, I feel like. And if you watch the the hard like a hand grenade documentary you can tell they had caught like this wind of resurgence when they started to go in to cut this album yeah. but little chip on their shoulder little chip on their shoulder that's what bands need but the amazing part about american idiot was it was never supposed to happen yeah and it's it's lore it's it's a fucking legendary story but they were going in to cut an album called cigarettes and valentines and the master recordings got stolen and they had it a lot of that album done. Too. A lot they, of that album done. On Wikipedia, it says after completing twenty songs, the demo master tapes were stolen. Which is amazing to me that they 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 said, "I want to start from scratch." Yeah. Which I would love to have been a part of that conversation in that room. <laughs> I just imagine Mike and Trey sitting there, like, "All right, well, let's just recut them." And Billy Joe's like, "I got an idea. How does a fucking rock opera sound?" And they were like. Then the engineer that just worked on 20 Green Day songs is just like, oh, oh. There's just a pile of cigarettes in front of him. Like, all right, I guess we'll just start over. But I think it shows you how tight they were as friends and as a band and where they were. That somebody could come with the pitch for, let's make a fucking political rock opera about these characters. One of them's named Jesus of Suburbia. Yeah. And they weren't like, all right, weirdo, like. Yeah, Go let's ahead. Fucking let's fucking it. do it. And I guess at that point where you, you know, you're one of the most successful bands in the nineties, you have something to prove again. And it's like balls to the walls. Let's fucking make history. That's crazy. They did it. They literally with this album, like it, I want to hear those cigarettes and Valentine's tracks. 
And who the fuck there's, has there's them? There's a couple that are leaked. Really? Not all 20 are leaked. There's a couple you could find on YouTube that are good. They yeah. sound kind of like the American Idiot style. Yeah. Because that's kind of, I think, the musical style they were going for. Wasn't as quite as political and stuff. Yeah. But the song itself, they started playing on tour, Cigarettes and Valentine's. Yeah. They like, put it out and played it on tour in, I want to say, like, 2012-ish. And it's a banger of a song. It's great. There was something, a, a buddy of mine, I'm going to shout him out, Paul Scholey. He's one of our traveling photographers. He's one of my best friends. He was a groomsman at my wedding. He's my fucking boy. He sent me a link to a, a band called The Network. And you already knew about this. If you don't know what The Network is, it is a secret Devo-esque Green Day project <laughs> that they recorded and basically toured as. They did, they did secret shows as before American Idiot. Yeah. And... I, the I, weirdest shit you could imagine. Literally, the, it's like fucking pop punk Devo. It's they're the, wearing like luchador masks, and they look like one's wearing a burglar mask, and I, it's strange. Yeah, they have a bunch of side projects like this. We were talking Foxborough Hot Tubs. They have one. I know Mike's got bands where he plays guitar, which is always weird to see Mike Durant with a guitar. It's I will unnatural. say, the most unsung hero in rock and roll as far as harmonies go. He yeah. is the perfect harmony man. Yeah. And I want Mike Dern on this podcast so bad. And even on this album, like, they, they have those moments in Jesus of Suburbia, Homecoming, where it's like, just goes into Mike singing, just goes into Trey singing for some of it. I have so many notes in here about the harmonies on this record. Yeah. And I always say this, people look at me like they're shocked, but Green Day taught me harmonies. Oh, yeah. And it, I believe that. I mean, Queen taught it to them, you know? It's right. like, you go to the lineage, and it's like, yeah, it's all coming from the best people. They... <laughs> It's like you want to write them off as a pop punk band or, they, or just a punk band, whatever. In their early years, sure. But even on things like Welcome to Paradise, these are gorgeous harmonies that descend. Like, I don't know. That this like Revisiting this record made me realize how much this album fucking means to me. Yeah. And I'm glad to be here with you, Robbie. Real quick, before we move on, do you follow the narrative of this? Or am I one of the only people who didn't give a fuck about the narrative? Like, the, the characters and the rock opera aspect. It interests me, but not like like when I'm listening to the the album, I do think about it in certain moments, yeah. but only when certain like lyrics come up. Yeah. Like in Homecoming when they're like, Jimmy died today yeah. and all that. It's like, oh, that's a badass moment. And that's actually in the musical, like Homecoming is one of the best ones they did. Really? Because that, it, it's almost built like a Broadway song, so yeah. it like fit for that and all the way it goes up and down, the crescendos and shit. But I think about it. But not, like, actively. Like, it's almost in the back of my mind as right. I'm listening. It's like I know that it's a story and I know these characters. Yeah. But it's What's like Your a... Name is a good one where you oh. think about that. Like, you know, like, that's that's a, a storytelling song, visual storytelling you think of. It's amazing how many of these songs on here weren't hits because everyone could have been a hit. Yeah. Which is, is scary. Uh, but it did have five hit singles. American Idiot uh, and Jesus of Suburbia was not a single, which is, it can't be. It's nine minutes long. It's five parts. But... Uh, Holiday, huge. Yeah. Boulevard of Broken Dreams won Record of the Year at the Grammys, which a rock song win winning like Record of the Year at the Grammys is now like unfathomable. Maybe the last time that happened? I mean, this might be the... Uh, did the Foo Fighters ever do it? I know they... they I think they won something for Wasting Life. They might have won it for Rope or something like that, uh, or, or maybe Walk even. Rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins, yeah. of course. But like even songs like... Uh, like Are We the Waiting is so gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Letter Bomb. By the way... I will get into this later. Always skip that song when I was a kid because I hate the kid voices in the beginning. Oh, really? The nobody <laughs> likes me part. Yeah. Skip it every single fucking time. Uh, but and then I forget that "Wake Me Up When September Ends" is even on this record. Just the smash that everyone in the world knows too. Hot take here. "Wake Me Up When September Ends" is the Nickelback 
of rock songs. Because people love to hate that song. Oh, yeah. It kind of became a meme. It became a meme. It is a fucking masterpiece of a song. Oh, yeah. And I will fight anybody who says that song. It, it's become like the October joke. Oh, somebody wake up. Yeah, September. Uh, yeah. We get it. But it's a on. fucking yeah. gorgeous song. Yeah. I mean, there's... Great music video, too. They got, like, legit actors in that, I remember. Dude, they did so many of these. The American Idiot video with the giant green, the green slime flag, American yeah. flag. I remember I was at my friend Liam's house watching MTV2 when that came out. And I sat there, and I, th- I, I still, like, to this fucking day remember it. But the holiday video went right into the Boulevard of Broken Dreams video. This is just such a great album. And it's the, it, to be in the office for the first time, this being the album that we go through. Sorry, I'm plugging my computer. You're great. All good. Um, but yeah, so let's cover the, the kind of players in this entire rock opera. Jesus of Suburbia is the main character, uh, which if you watch the documentary, Billy Joe says... Uh, he is the king of his local 7-Eleven, yeah. which, they, which they just kind of represent in the music video for that, too. Absolutely. That's a great one. I instantly think of Jay and Silent Bob. I instantly <laughs> think of Kevin James. I think of a New Jersey kid. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. Come Kevin on. James. Paul Jesus Paul Christ. Paul. All right. Yeah, just all right. We'll fight after this. It's cool. Um, uh, what's her name is the kind of like the female love counterpart. Uh, and then St. Jimmy is kind of like the badass, like kind of side of this entire thing. And, and St. Jimmy's an interesting one to me because it's highly debated whether or not St. Jimmy is a real character. Moon Knight? Moon Knight style. Yeah. Is a, a flipped personality. Yeah. Me and Robbie are, are catching like all of our like shared interests here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, don't spoil that. Um, but yeah. Uh, so obviously there's these moving parts. It is a, a rock opera. But it's to the point where they break it down and two different songs are nine minutes plus, which yeah. you'll never see again. In and I, I love that. I love long songs. We've talked about it on the podcast, like those Stairway to Heaven uh, length songs. I love. Take I, me on that musical journey. There is no... I'm going to get hate for this, but there is no song in the past 20 years in the rock realm that I love more than Jesus of Suburbia. Might be up there for me, too. I always call it the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody of, like... Pop punk rock. It is. Yeah. It's, it's good. There's five parts. And by the way, don't ever try and cover that song. Don't <laughs> have you. No, no, no. Have I, I, play, to- I played it myself. Yeah. You know, the, on bass, but yeah, never as a full band. We'll just get this story out of the way. Uh, circa 2014, College Foxtrot, our senior year, we are a three piece band at this point. Okay. It's me, Ken, and our drummer, Ryan, at the You're time. We like, were like Green Day. We were like Green Day. And we are playing a show for $400 at a bar in Delaware County right outside of Philadelphia. $400 is not bad. $400, but it was, it was four and a half hours. All right. So the day before the show, we decided it would be funny to try and cover all of Jesus of Suburbia at a bar full of drunk old people. <laughs> there, we did it. I forgot the song about three minutes in. Oh, no. We went the full nine minutes. Oh, fumbled. No. I was playing an acoustic guitar, by the way. Oh, okay. Like, we, we were like, <laughs> this was never should have been done. I apologized afterwards. And we started playing Hootie and the Blowfish, and I got hit in the face with a Bud Light. Oh. Yep. So, I will never cover that song again. Even bottle as or can? Bottle. Ooh. Yep. Uh, we did have buddies in the bar. Tried to fight the guy. We continued to play. I did not pussy out. I continued to play. But that is my that is my biggest suggestion to anybody. Don't pop punk can try. We do have uh, an American Idiot cover story. We did American Idiot. We yeah. opened with American Idiot for a while, and it was great. So yeah. much fun. You, you do the Billy Joe crowd work in the middle of it with Rowan doing the hey oh, oh the crowd I love shit. it. Crowd would go wild for it. We did it at ECU, which is you know college bar, college town, whatever. Yeah. And you get to the moment where you have to drop the F. Of course, yeah, the hard F. And it's a hard F in the context of the song. Right. 
it's very much like fuck you. Right. We will be that. If you want to call us that, we will absolutely be that. very on behalf. When you do it to college kids that are drunk and not listening to the lyrics, the room went silent like a record scratch. Oh, no. We were just like, oh, my God. Maybe we don't do this anymore. Maybe we don't cover Green Day songs anymore. Yeah, and then I want to say, like, Ron is like, maybe we change it up. And I was like, yeah, we should do Holiday. And he was like, that there's a fucking hard after that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's 2004 for you. Oh, you know? man, that's 2004. And once again, in and the... Both con- are, yeah, both they're, are like, fuck you. Yeah. If... if and the, I think the one holiday is like from the perspective of someone calling someone that, but it's, right. like, it's hard to, you know, put that into your mind in the fast song. Of course. And song. it's also like, if you want to look at it from the eyes of uh, 2022, yeah. like probably shouldn't have said it, but it was like almost in like this, like weird, like there's a very punk rock way bro, to say it. And this album, like, I guess as kids, we didn't really realize how anti-war and how anti-Bush this record was. Yeah. And now looking back at it, like, that was so fucking badass. Like, they, because they did that, like. This is like everything that bands started doing when Trump was around. Of course. Like, bands weren't really doing as much when Bush was around. I mean, shout out to the the chicks now. Chicks, yes, not the chicks. They did it and ruined their career for it. And now they're beloved for it, though, in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, back around. But I fucking am so excited to go through these songs. Um, Last thing before we move into the actual song by song, just the overall, like, kind of sonic tone of this record. I've said this on the podcast before. This was the era of unbelievable compression on records. And if you listen to this and American Idiot or in In Your Honor by Foo Fighters, they are like 20 decibels lower than most other records that are done today. I don't know what it is about that time period. Everything was compressed to hell. And it's not a bad thing because it still sounds great. And I'm sure they've remastered it since. But like everything is so tight. I'd love to like go back and listen to... uh... Don't believe the truth. Oasis put out in yes. 2005. It yep. was the same way. I mean, they're kind of kings of compression from since the beginning. Oh my god! With those <laughs> guitar tones, yeah. like yeah, it is. This is. But the, even this, I think of like the end of uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, where it just explodes. That's just compressed as shit. It sounds amazing. That's an all-time moment. Another weird realization today. Listen to the end of Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Then listen to the end of This Is the End, or I Know the End by Phoebe Bridgers. Oh, Oddly yeah. similar, and in a good way. By the way, yeah, shout yeah. out Phoebe Bridgers. She's I love great, you. Yeah. Love Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. Um, but other than the compression, I noticed something. I was going back on the train ride up. I was watching uh, Heart Like a Hand Grenade. Yeah. And Billy Joe was talking about they wanted this to feel like a live album in a certain perspective. It does. And it, it, it it's hard as a three-piece to recreate that. Shout out to Jason White. The, yeah. the, the, the unsung, unsung fourth. Because yeah. I think he got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with them as well. I'm pretty sure he did. Rightfully so. I mean, he's played with them for, I think, over 20 years. Over 20 years. Yeah. And you never know who the guy is. He's to the side of the stage with the ZS-335 yeah. or his, or his he's acoustic. He's cool just chilling, letting everyone just else Just cool take as the, fuck. Take the stage, yeah. But watching them, I was watching the videos of them drilling these. And I mean, dude, going in and making a record, you're always in pre-production. And watching them drill the pre-production on this. And, like, you could tell at a certain point, they're like, do we have to run this again? And every (laughs) band has been through that. But just, like, achieving what they set out to do, they did a rock opera, they had these fucking expansive guitars, and the the dynamics of the up and down of this record. The drumming, too. Trey Cool is just such a... This record might have, like, the most tasteful drumming of the 21st century. Uh, He is someone who could... In my dad's words, this is what he always called it when you show out. He, he, he could just jerk off on the record all day. Yeah. He could just play fills. Always tasteful. Those, like, signature fills that are all over. Like, the one that opens Jesus of Suburbia, where it's like, rata, 
all over the record where he does that almost. It's like a Ellen John strummer would do that. Yes. Where it's like you do one fill across yep. the whole record. Matt Sorum did that. Matt Sorum, absolutely. Like, such a fucking great drumming record. I mean, dude, like you even think about like when I say dynamics, like what's her name as a song? They come in with just this very tight kind of like, like minuscule pocket. Yeah. And by the end of the song, it is just out here and, and that is to me like the mark of a great band that can go dynamic because they were not and they've like barely ever done that live that's one of those songs I've seen Green Day live three times that's one of those songs that every time I go I'm like what's her name we play what's her name and they never do I've never seen them live Dude, gotta go I know I know that's one I'm... of those you have to check them off the list well there, when I was in college uh, that Billy Joe Armstrong and Nora Jones record came out yeah Foreverly, which is just outstanding. And they did a pop-up show at the Bowery Electric in New York. And I wanted to go so goddamn badly because yeah. I've played that venue. It is a tiny room underground. And to be in the room with those two goddamn legends would have been fucking unbelievable. But I digress. We'll get to that record someday. Yeah, go listen to that one. That's amazing. That was my fall asleep to record for a while. <sighs> that was so my peaceful. study for finals record in yeah. college, dude. Nora Jones, once again. Yeah. I love you. Uh, so 13 songs to go through two of them are nine minutes plus and one of them is the one I'm going to just pontificate about but we'll start at the top American Idiot opens the record and with a fucking bang sets the tone sets the tone and it's it's a mark of a Green Day song especially for this record to grab you within the first five seconds yeah that riff the riff and it is once again you said it perfectly but it's the first album a lot of kids will learn first kids they are one of the, like, the last great bands to do that, where it, it's, if you don't catch the person in the first five seconds, mm-hmm. start over. And, it, and not always with vocals either. No! Nowadays, you always hear that on Spotify. Yep. Like, people just want to get into the vocals the second the song starts. This is a guitar There's, riff yeah. album. If you go through it, Jesus, Jesus of Suburbia, those four opening C-sharp chords that right away you know what you're getting into. Holiday. The, the the slinky riff that comes in there, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, the syncopated kind yeah, of like, like delay the, track. Delayed track, yeah, that's cool. They were masterful with this. And to start the record with American Idiot was, it's you know, it's the namesake of the album, but it also sets the tone for the political aspect of the album. Yeah, and in that Broadway, like, opera way, yep. this does, like, kind of tell you what the whole album's about, yep. what you're going to get start to finish. Yep. doesn't introduce you to, like, I guess the romantic as- aspects of it, but that's more of the... I don't know, B side of no, it. No, but it's the mental aspect yeah. of the main character being this like disenfranchised kind of, of like, yeah, way. this disenfranchised little punk kid lives in a small town, needs to get out, like around all these rednecks, like just being like, I am not you. I don't feel that way. I'm getting the fuck out. And if you don't like it, no, fuck off. Like I'm, I'm gone. Um, but to me, if this is also the most, you know, besides holiday, the most like societal kind of like a, uh, uh, critique of the time, but even in that beginning part, talking about uh, one nation controlled by the media, tell me that's not existentially fucked up. <laughs> where we are today, like this record has aged so well, so well, yeah. it's unbelievable. Like realistically, because we don't remember shit about the Iraq no. War era. Yeah, I was there. But we, the thing is, I do, I do remember the day the Iraq War started. Really, I do. I was, you know, like this is super dark this has become a dark podcast 9-11 is like one of my first memories ever really yeah I remember Dude. watching that on the news and just being like what the hell Miss I knew like my family worked in New York so I was like oh, they, they were fine but Miss Sapinski's class fourth grade got pulled out of class uh, I just remember getting Colin Budney come down to the, to the principal's office and everybody started getting called out of school my dad took me to a baseball field we stayed there for like the next four hours I he was just trying to keep me away from a TV 
my goodness. So then yeah. we got home. We don't need to talk about 9-11. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, this record kind of... Well, the, the classic album reviews, do you remember 9-11? Like but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, so you're in this period of time, and I guess being where they were, because here's another thing about this album. What, when did Doogie come out? Like, 93? 94. 94. Yeah. They were only 10 years into their career. They, like, for as much as they had put out, this was not like a, like a, a 20-year journey into it. Like, this would basically be like, 21 Pilots is, like, if they put an album today, reinventing themselves, themselves, like, back in the spotlight, like, this was, I think we talked about this, too, probably the last, like, the last rock album in that spot. Yeah. Can't think of another, I mean, like, there were Foo Fighters albums that came after it that that were big, but not in that mainstream big way. Yeah, I mean, everywhere. Stadium Arcadium, maybe? But it wasn't, like, a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, even that was, like, you got Danny California, you got Snow, and then, like, mainstream wise I don't think people knew much else yeah I mean just I guess that was fucking everywhere but yeah maybe blurry face because I guess that was for maybe, maybe like kids like the 21 pilots record but for us like uh, adults now it's like that's so big so I big mean, that bull in a bible show was like 125,000 people right? bro record of the year yeah like you know what I mean like it was like because I feel like after that was like the pitchfork era where it was like arcade fire yeah. was huge but it became like a I don't know like a an underground thing yeah, which is kind of cool. Black Keys style. Yeah, Black Keys. Of, yeah, yeah uh, White like Stripe. Nothing what, against them. But no, not at all. But I mean, the, way it, it, the, the world evolved. Right. This may be the last crossover pop culture phenomenon yeah. rock album, which yeah. is fucking crazy. But um, as far as American, that's basically all I have about that. Because I mean, yeah. we know we know that song. But let's get into the. This is my favorite song on the record. Same. I, I, it's it's Jesus of Suburbia. Yeah. And this to me, where do I even start? Uh, five parts. Uh, I don't remember the words to all of them, but I'm playing them live. I'll put it that way. But the balls on a band to do a nine minute rock opera, five piece yeah. like song and do it twice on an album. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. And the way that they also like speaking of songs that kind of play off one another. Yeah. They are the perfect, like that's the, the bookend of the album, the book, uh, bookends of the album where it's like Jesus of suburbia starts you off on that chaotic. Yep. This is the lay of the land. Another kind of what the main character wants, right. like where he's going. And then by the end, it like wraps everything up in a nice bow. And then what's her name? I always viewed as like the epilogue. Yes, the absolutely. And then what's her name? Get, takes you out. But then homecoming, my God. But no, to me, like, do you have a favorite part of this? Like a favorite section? I love, uh, when it just cuts out everything except Mike Dern's bass with the dun 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 I mean, that's like... I could so run through a Is that maybe the I don't care? Is that the I don't care I don't part? care, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dearly Beloved is my favorite part. Dearly Beloved. Oh, my so good. God. Also, another word... also like, when you see Green Day do this live, you're like, there's fucking nothing better in the world than this. This is a song that, when it starts, I want to run through a wall. Yeah. And then by Dearly Beloved, I'm thinking... I don't care the the piano part before that, yeah. you know, about to cry. And then by the end of it again, I'm ready to run back through a fucking wall. This is a journey in itself. Yeah, this the ending is another one. Just that I'm leaving. Oh my da, God. Da, 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 da. That's so good. I and just, that's also such a Broadway ending. The way they end that is so like, you could picture like everyone on stage, like doing a big pose at the end. Well, of it's it. like I picture like on the Broadway show, the, the dearly beloved part, like the lights drop. It's a single exactly. spotlight. Yeah. And then the, I won't apologize on anything at all. Like that part is like, I picture somebody going to like a knee at the front of the stage. And then like the dancers explode behind yeah. them. Like 
Could you imagine you pitching live? They do the fireworks and shit. Could you imagine moment? pitching this to a, a producer? Like just being like, all right, so I got this idea. It's a five part song. What the fuck are you doing? Like, Nine that's what I'm saying. Dude. The trust that they must have had with Rob Cavallo to yeah. just be like, okay, this is what we're doing. And he's like, sweet. Love yes. it. Um, all right. So we're through. G- uh, do you have anything else to say about Jesus of Suburbia? Nah, I mean, it's just a perfect song. It's a fucking perfect song, dude. Uh, but that leads into a, a run there on uh, these next two songs, which are on Spotify connected. Yeah. Both huge hits. Yeah. Um, we'll start with huge Holiday. Huge hit. They both have their own Wikipedia page. Dude, I, I mean... <laughs> Holiday to me was the number one song I played along to when I was a kid. Yeah. Like guitar wise. I would always play along because the bridge of that has such a good doom. It's not too hard to play. It's like one of those fun riffs that you could learn right away. Dude, great bridge on this song too. Yeah. When they go, they break down to Billy Joe with the. It's like the loudspeaker. Yeah, the the megaphone. Yeah. Which is of course like the Damon Albarn thing, like the big gorillas thing. Like Haley Williams would later do that. Shout out to Haley Williams as well. Yes, we're co- yeah. Dude, we're shouting out all the queens today. Yeah. Love this. Um, but Holiday, hyper-political. Once yeah. again, this is like... I said, This song, I think, got them in the most, quote-unquote, trouble yes, from the absolutely. album. Because everyone would call this an anti-America song. And then, famously, on Bull in the Bible, he intros it by saying, this song is not anti-America, it's anti-war. Right. And, I mean, they do basically call the president a Nazi. Yep. So he's like, hell to the president gas man. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't think, I don't know if like uh, 11-year-old Colin caught that. No, but I definitely didn't. I no, definitely didn't. I was definitely like shouting the lyrics in my basement though. Shout- Guaranteed. Yeah. Can you imagine my parents walking by being like, did he just, what? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Um, but yeah, I mean, even the music video was dystopian as fuck. Like this sets this world in this dystopian hellscape of war and fucking bombs dropping but it's still got a great chorus. I was going to say the chorus is like the perfect anthem rock chorus. When you talk about them wanting to write this for live, like this sounds like they wrote it being like, let's write the most fun song to play live. Oh my God. And Mike Dern, it's gang vocals, like yeah. everything. This is a live song. But the thing that strikes me by the point you hit this album is the fact that they, sure, you know, Jesus of Suburbia is five parts, but each of those individual parts, the song structure is just fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Like there's a great intro, pre-chorus, chorus, with the bridge, when breaking down and coming out again, like we take for granted how great the song structure is for these songs. What a great songwriter Billy Joe Armstrong is! It's like, like you said, with like he took everything he learned in his career, put it together. Yeah, you could hear it. In Jesus of Suburbia. Yep, you hear like in the slower parts, and the sadder parts, and the crazy parts. It's like, oh <laughs> shit, this is like. Dewey Cox, man. It's the culmination of your entire life. Dewey yeah. Cox is yeah. exactly what yeah. it was. Um, but no, Holiday, obviously a huge smash hit, uh, but it's not even the biggest smash hit that it's attached to because it's attached and goes directly into Boulevard of Broken Dreams, which, once again, this is another song that could be uh, meme to death. I think The Office kind of like, I think of Dwight singing this to karaoke uh, at Christmas time more than anything, but... To me, this is like oddly an emo anthem because definitely it's it's you know I went to emo night in Brooklyn this past Friday. Yeah, and this was on the on the set. Of course, it yeah, was. Uh, it's like great music video. Another one with a great music video, which Iconic. continues the holiday music video. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember this very very vividly on MTV Two. Being... I used to have a, a Boulevard of Broken Dreams shirt. It was such a cool shirt. You would in first grade. It was a black shirt, and it just had kind of a red bar, and it was like Converse walking on, like, it was like a cartoon oh, Converse walking sick. on, like, a, 
fucking literally broken tree. I am sad we didn't bring eyeliner for this. I said, said I was that, going to, but I gotta I gotta do uh, interviews afterwards, and it would be weird if I was interviewing Meatball Molly. With yeah, eyeliner. what am I gonna do later when I go on Zoom with White Sox Dave and Dante and Kenny, and I have eyeliner on? Like <laughs> yeah. White Sox Dave is just gonna look, just give me like that Clint Eastwood, full, like go the full Batman with the like all over. Oh yeah, I'll be looking like uh, Zvakitis in uh, what's that fucking semi pro the Will oh, Ferrell yeah. movie? <laughs> yeah. Their eyeliner starts running. White Sox Dave would just look at me like Will, uh, like Clint Eastwood in fucking. Uh, Gran Torino, just give me like a yeah. look. Either uh, that or he wouldn't notice until halfway through the podcast. And I'll be like, are you wearing eyeliner? I'm like, sure. I've been wearing it the whole time. It would not shock me if there's a video, uh, picture of like some character that he's done at some point at Barstool like with him with eyeliner. I feel like he always oh, gets I roped bet. into yeah, this shit. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, I don't know how we got there. But <laughs> Boulevard of Broken Dreams, the outro is fucking rock and roll, dude. Yeah. Like pure as, as like emo that middle section is. Um like I said, inspiring a lot of shit that happened down the line. I brought up the Phoebe Bridgers thing. But to me, like, this is peak CD era rock and roll. Like, this is great, humongous chorus. The production matches what they had done thus far on the album, but it, it crystallizes what this album sounds like to me. Acoustic intro, huge stacked, stacked Gibson chorus for the guitars. And the Mike, Mike Dern harmonies, just fucking outstanding. Um but I mean, I, I don't think there's much that we can say about Boulevard of Broken Dreams that hasn't been said already. This is like for me when we talk about everything coming together with the acoustic intro and then the crazy outro. Yeah. It's like they took a little bit of warning and they took a little bit of Nimrod. And yes. They, it's like Foo Fighters. Yes. Doing In Your Honor, half yes. electric, half, and then they do Echo, Silence, Patient, Grace, and they're like, what if we just combine it? We're watching a band figure out who they are. Yeah. Is basically what it is. Because, dude, I don't think that they, like, I mean, obviously, like. It has, they, like, the come alive structure. Yo, fighters, my you know? God. Let it die. Like, yeah, that whole. Yeah. <sighs> we can do one on that. Yeah, we are going to have to do one on that yeah, album, that dude. Album is, is that the Foo Fighters album you would do? It's so tough because I think my favorite, if I was just, if you were, like, you're on a desert island, I'm giving you one. I'm taking a wasting light, I Me think. too. But, like, that album is, you're, you're sacrificing the pretend. My favorite Foo Fighter song is But Honestly. Another one that kind of has that structure where you start acoustic yeah. and you make that explode by the end of the song. Come Alive is one of my top five favorite Foo Fighter songs. Uh, also, um, oh, my God, Cheer Up Boys, Your Makeup is Crying. Great song. Uh, but, um, Long Road to Ruin is just a masterpiece. Yeah, we're going to have to do a Foo Fighters album soon. Erase, uh, Replace. That fucking he they snapped on that album. record. It is, and I mean, following in your honor, which to me that's yeah. this era for me is when I was like figuring out what I was going to make music. Like when I was a little kid, American Idiot and In Your Honor were back to back two years in a row. So that was like kind of like the first records like, I played a oh, little. Okay, time. this yeah, is my music. This is it. <laughs> yeah, um, but Full of Broken Dreams one record of the year. We already brought that up, but yeah, what else are you gonna say? Uh, the next song to me is the one that I go back to the most. I have to be oh, honest. Really? Like this song to me. We're, we're, we're talking about um, are we are we the waiting? Yeah, it's you two. It is yeah. arena rock, like personified, big kind of like eighties, like boomy snares, like just these fills. But there's like elements of Tom Petty to it. There's elements of you yeah. two. Uh, it would be like kind of like what Coldplay would go on to like emulate when they started doing their arena shit, where you're just commanding the an army. They would bring out to the front dude, of the stage and dude, shit. Yeah. yeah, dude. I mean. It doesn't sound like anything else on the album, realistically, but this to me is is another Broadway moment. Yeah. This is, and I, you can you know speak from your own experience. 
you know, the St. Jimmy character or the or the Jesus Suburban character walks to the front of the stage and he's just talking to the crowd. He, like that's literally they play it, you know, it's stage is dark and it, spotlights and shit and slow. And then Jimmy like literally kicks down a fucking door and it's lights everywhere and it's chaos and it feels like an anxiety attack happening on stage. And this is like uh seems to me like Billy Joe knew how good he was as a front yeah. man. Oh, yeah. And he was like, let me just write a song where I could put him in the palm of my hands and then just, you know, pull it away from him with St. Jimmy. And th- that is... This is also, like, when they're put together on Spotify, this one makes sense Makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're going to put any two together, it, the way this transitions, it's like, it's like... It's almost like one big intro for St. Jimmy. This could have been just another nine-minute song. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this this same key across, like, key doesn't change, but it's two completely different animals. Yeah. Uh, but are we the waiting? I I love that Joshua Tree era, uh, kind of like anthemic U two, spacey almost, spacey. Like. And it's weird too because this was around the time of Aerosmith's kind of like push play era, like oh, Jaded, yeah. and there that's the same kind of a feel of Jaded by Aerosmith, which I love. Like my sensibilities, I love the major kind of stadium shit. Yeah, that's same. that's the fucking nerd, like songwriting nerd in me. Like I just like I feel like that's the. Kiss Molly Crew fan and me. That's what I'm saying. As big and loud as possible. Yes. And this to me is like, I don't want to bring my fucking self into this, but we wrote a song for the new record. I'll I'll send it to you, but uh, it's called uh, Whatever's Left of Me. And I structured it like it's a Broadway song. And when I look back, it's also an A. This is an A sharp, but like it's also an A. And like I was thinking of Are We the Waiting? Like that is exactly what I wanted to do. And the dynamics of this song don't really change as much. It builds and builds, but the dynamic change comes at St. Jimmy. Yeah. Which. That's the differential between, you know, just fucking, you're in a crowd, you're swaying, lighters up, and then. And then mosh pits break And then mosh pits break But it's old school punk, dude. This is Ramon's punk. probably the most punk song in the album. Yeah, and I mean, uh Yes, you're 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 correct. I'm How looking back. Fast it is. American Idiot's up there, obviously. Letter Bomb Two. Yeah, I, I wrote down here. Let, and I'll, we'll get to this, but Letter Bomb reminds me of Nice Guys Finish Last, yeah. which is kind of like my favorite. Like, oh, these like kind of like Beach Boy punk songs. I call them. They have yeah. these like up and down harmonies. Like, it's so fucking good. But Saint Jimmy, I posted the video from Bullet in the Bible. That, when he's running from platform to platform, dude. Oh, my fucking That's God. That's like some Axl Rose shit. That is some angsty fucking six, six-year-old six Robbie running <laughs> yeah. around like, fuck you, Mom. I am St. Jimmy. Was, I swear, like, watching that and being in the basement and just being like, you know, and that's my name. And don't you fucking wear dude, it out. My mom so would be like, hey, no watch your mouth, dude. Dude, it's just, when, like, St. Jimmy to me, is Green Day obviously connecting back to what makes them Green Day early on. But it's also this, it's not early Green Day punk. It's like rock and roll punk. It fits in with this so well. It's like the American Idiot version of punk. And it's also like Billy Joe on this record, this is like a technical nerd standpoint kind of a thing. He's not playing strats anymore. In the early days, he was playing strats. He was playing Les Paul Jr.'s. And this is is where he made the switch? This is where he made the switch to the Les Paul Jr.'s. Yeah, which is, to me, is what... This this album does not sound like Fender guitars. Yeah, it is fucking humbuckers, and it's P90s, and it's thick, and it's fat, and it's just missing that with the acoustic elements. That's the sound I love on this record. Yeah. But Saint Jimmy is fucking give me a Gibson, give me a Marshall, get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> like they're playing with a the pick. Trey Cool just fucking going for it, dude. This is like 
this is American idiot to me. Um, but we go from St. Jimmy to one of the sweeter moments on the record and Hot Take, maybe my second favorite song on the album. It's up there for me. And another one that was really great in the Broadway version. The Broadway album is on Spotify, Apple Music, so people can listen to it. It's yeah. worth listening to. I know what I'm doing on my train ride home. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Gimme Novocaine starts out with this kind of like playful pocket from Trey Cool, but then it goes into the pop rocks and coke, capoed acoustic guitar. And you're like, okay, we just came out of St. Jimmy. What the fuck is this? Yeah. And the most tender vocal lines, single line, not harmonized from Billy Joe. And, but it does what this album does and it plays with your dynamics. Another good explosion. Explosive, explosive drop into the pre chorus and drain the pressure from the swelling. The sensation's overwhelming. Fuck you, Billy Joe. Because that is, <laughs> there are so many good lyrical moments on this yeah. record, but like, I love that idea. It's not a it's not a physical Novocaine, it's a mental Novocaine. And that that lead guitar riff where it's like this so good. One thing we haven't even mentioned yet, and I know you've been in studios, you're a musician, obviously. You know about kinda. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Pop punk kicks ass. Pop punk kicks ass, dude. It's it's ear candy. Yeah. And although this is not the most, you know, layered structure in the verses, there are those George Harrison kind of the the after the first chorus, the Dun, 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 these yeah. slide moments that I'm like that separates your verses that is so smart it's such good fucking songwriting dude it's um, crazy too that like I feel like if you said that to someone that like doesn't love music yeah. like, two of Green Day's main main influences that you could hear all the time in their music are the Beatles and Queen absolutely and I feel like people would be like what? but like the melodies he, I mean Billy Joe is like a Paul McCartney style absolutely. melody writer where he yes. just he knows how to do that up and down thing through verses and balance it. Like his his melodies are like an equation sometimes. Billy like Joe is visceral, but whimsical. He has a like Paul McCartney has a whimsical yeah. aspect to him. Like there is this kind of like uh, nursery rhyme element to a lot of totally. things that he writes, which I have always loved and always modeled. Like he catches you. Yeah, that's what separates Green Day from being a punk band to a crossover pop rock fucking mega lift. It's because of the songwriting. Yeah. He just writes better songs than everybody. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine, but give me no Even his, like, 50% is most people's 100%. Oh, absolutely. He's a better, like, we're if we're comparing Foo Fighters and Green Day, he's a better songwriter in my eyes than Dave Grohl. Yeah, he probably is, yeah. I I love you, Dave, and I love the Foo Fighters to death. Dave hasn't written, like, a Jesus of Suburbia. No, but I also don't think Dave Grohl, like, you watch, like, the Sonic Highways documentary. There were times where he was just scribbling shit down in a, um, like in the booth and he was like alright cool I feel like Billy Joe is the kind of guy that will stay up for 48 straight hours and chain yeah. smoke cigarettes to get the right thing yeah um, but that is one of one of the things that's a good point about Dave and it's like kind of cool you see it in back and forth sometimes where he didn't write I, it was Dear Rosemary yes he didn't write the bridge because he wanted to write it oh, he wait, had uh, who was that he had another singer come in to do it one of the bands that he loves yeah it's a great it's a great part that guy's voice creepiest is like very, voice yeah, ever it's very distinct this yeah. is why I fucking love you yeah. there's nobody else who but I'm like, gonna throw that, that reference that moment, out to it really shows like Dave is like no we'll just fucking write it when he gets here yeah. like, we'll do it in five minutes and that'll be the and it works for that record it, it feels natural it feels fresh I've always felt that Dave Grohl takes they make the songs and then the lyrics I, I totally see him as not a guy although like I I like, Best of You, obviously, was something that he sat down yeah. and he poured through. Yeah. Let It Die, something he sat down and poured through. You could hear it when he does it. You yes, know? absolutely. Because like, then there's sometimes, like... 
I like the new record, but it doesn't sound like he did that on the new record. What was the album before that? Black Concrete was the name of the album? Uh, or? Uh, Golden Concrete. Gold Concrete. Concrete Gold. Concrete Gold. Concrete Gold. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah. Did you really? I did. I hated it. I like that one. I hated it because I loved like their previous six so much. And Wasting Light is also like a I mean, That's a fucking perfect album. Yeah. Uh, different different record for a different day. Yeah. Um, so after Give Me Novocaine, it goes into She's a Rebel was always a song that I skipped. Really? Oh, yeah. I love She's a Rebel. I love She's a Rebel now. Okay. Talking like young Colin. Back in the day, yeah. I really like this song. Unbelievable song it's structure again because after that first chorus and they go into the, like back to almost like the American Idiot, like and then they go back into the verse. That's mind-blowing to me as an adult like being like damn that was really fucking smart and I would never do that yeah. in a million years um, but She's a Rebel to me is just the back half of Giving Over Game yeah it's another one these two back and forth do make sense when you pair them together yes ab- oh my god absolutely yeah. um, but this is also another this is getting into the stretch of the of the album and I'm sure it got into the stretch of the uh, the Broadway play where he's playing off what's her name yeah. the, the female counterpart in this she's kind of like Pulling him out of the the drugs that St. Jimmy, whether it be himself and another personality or his drug dealer himself, is getting him into. Yes, which is something that we, we haven't even gotten into yet, but the drug aspect of yeah. this, which even if like you know, Vacane kind of, you know, like. I guess that does make sense. Yeah. I'm discovering things as we speak. <laughs> um, but She's a Rebel, fucking badass song now that we've got, I've gotten to the point where I've listened to it so much. Yeah. Fucking love it. Um, another song, we talked about this in the beginning. I hate the beginning of this song. Oh, I love to be the. It's kind of like uh, I hate it. Indian drums. Yes, it is like Middle Eastern drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it drops into this, and I'm gonna say this band, and I don't know how you feel about this. It reminds me of Oasis in a weird way. Oh yeah, like yeah. that kind of like uh, time of yeah, being yeah, idol yeah. era, like yeah. or like Layla era Oasis. Definitely, I was gonna say that. Then that's 2005. That's like, yeah. Yes, and I mean, but I also have another like I always write these weird fucking like comparative things in these notes it says it's Roy Orbison meets Oasis meets Tom Petty Roy Orbison yeah, yeah. she's just an ordinary girl yeah, it's got I this like that, 50s yeah. kind of Roy Orbison thing yeah. and now that I've like going back and listen to it more wow. it's so fucking good dude wow. it's so stupid you're right good. about that like and also looking at some of these like uh, she's a rebel two minute song that's quick it is and obviously that is kind of the back half it's there's the back points half of song, Jesus of like, Suburbia that are longer than two minutes yeah yeah but, like, uh, Extraordinary Girl is, like, I wrote this down. This is why you don't skip songs. Yeah. Because I I missed, like, that is a song that, if, like, five years ago you asked me, you're like, well, how does that song go? I'd be like, it's that fucking annoying song with the with the drums in the beginning. <laughs> I didn't want to listen to that shit. Give me the fucking song. Which, what did we say earlier? If you don't catch me in the first five seconds, I'm out. Yeah. That is one of the songs on the record where they don't go for it in the first five seconds. It, it's, it's almost like a, a slight interlude. Yes, it's yeah. totally an interlude, but then it bursts into this big Indian Roy Orbison Oasis Tom Petty thing, which is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, this is one of those songs that I've gone back and I've fallen in love with. Yeah. Um, and this is, once again, the What's Her, ha- What's Her Name part of the album, um, where we're going through everything like that. How was this live? When, what did they do for this for the, for the musical? Do you remember? I don't remember because it might have been like just uh, the main character, Jesus of Suburbia, and what's her name sitting on like a stained mattress in the middle of the stage. I want to say. Gross. I want to say this might have been like a uh, a slower one. They really? Change this up. Interesting. I don't remember entirely though, because like I said, I was literally 
like my family would work in Broadway, so we would get sometimes like, oh, invited dress rehearsal. Oh, it's so dope. And like, we, we would always be like, no, thank you. Like, I didn't want to go I don't want to go to Billy Elliot. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> but when American Idiot comes down the pipe, we, me and my brother were like, are you fucking kidding Let's me? Like, go, the baby. first dress rehearsal. So it was a long time ago. Is it still running on Broadway? No. No. It, it hasn't been on for a while. Uh, I believe Hamilton is where it is. Oh, I guess that makes and, sense. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. It's no, it's a never. Tiny, tiny little show, yeah. <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah. Watch it on Disney Plus. It's fucking outstanding. You know, I, I got to see it twice. Did you go to Springsteen on Broadway? No. I'm not a Springsteen guy, really. I know. We know, yeah, I know, I know. I, I like Springsteen, but I'm not like a Springsteen guy. Understood. Yeah. Understood. Um, we're just going to move on from that. For a <laughs> you won't be getting kicked just once today, bro. <laughs> uh, Letterbomb. Uh, I brought this up earlier. I hate the creepy kid in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but this is the most classic Dookie yeah, era, yeah. Insomnia area, uh, Green Day. You can hear it literally on all three of them. Like yes. On Trey's drums, on Billy's guitars, and on Mike's bass. It's, it's totally that kind of throwback era. Which they needed it, I think, maybe for old fans who would be like, where, yeah. where is it? Like, what, what the fuck I, is I this? I know people that are like, Oh, I hate when Green Day got political. Like, I was out at that point. That's you. crazy to me, because how do you say I'm out on this album? It's probably like, the, this is the song for them. Probably the same people who blast Born in the USA, and they're like, this is a great, yeah. great anthemic American song. It's literally USA. protesting the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, but no, Letter Bomb. Great fucking song. Great song. Um, is there anything else you had to get on that? Not really. It's not one of those, uh, I, I don't even really know where it comes into the narrative of the story or anything. Me neither. kind of just a... One-off song that's great. Letterbomb, I feel like, is once again, like, I don't know, like, that era America where everybody was afraid about anthrax getting mailed and shit. Oh, uh, maybe. This might have been oh, one where... is that what a letterbomb is? I'm assuming. Anthrax in a letter? Never thought about that. I, I think it is, because that's, like, when all that shit was going yeah, down. Yeah. We don't support anthrax. Uh, Wake Me Up When September Ends. If you don't I've like... It, before, but yeah. If you don't like this song, you're a fucking liar. You know what's a shame that... It is such a beautiful song about, like, his father's death. Yes. And now it's a meme. Right. Exactly. For and it's like... I remember the VH... And when he plays it, like, when, when someone plays this live, the whole crowd's going wild. They're singing along. It's like Wonderwall almost in that, like... Yes. You can go wild if you hear it live, and then on Twitter, people love to be like, oh... This is a forbidden riff at Guitar Center. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But there is that switch, and it's one of my earliest memories of playing the guitar... We had in my house a Line Six amplifier. Do you remember these amps? Oh, yeah, yeah. Which are like, if you go on like music memes, like Line Six is like maligned. Is like it had built-in effects and I shit was like say, that. Was it the one with the? It had a little screen on it. You yes, and you could change it and shit like I, that. That was my middle school band. My guitar players had those. So, but I had a, p- a pedal board with it where you could program it for switches. One, two, three, four, five, six. So one was clean for me. And then two was super distortion. So I would play the do 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 do, and then. Dun, 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 yeah. Which is just fuck, you know, lead so an yeah. lead an army into war with that. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I absolutely I remember this them doing this at the MTV BMA, or mu- music awards, and they did it on a rooftop and badass, just fucking awesome, dude. Shout out to the Beatles for being the first people to do that, and then everyone that has done it since has looked awesome. They though. do it all the time. Billy and Strings they do it on did like it the Grammys and they have like people oh, on the top of yeah. the market. Foo Fighters did that. Foo Fighters did it did on that. top of uh, Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, the first yeah. time they had Franz playing oh, the yeah, drums. They, they were like, they like, they were like, oh, this is uh, our new drummer. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he was their drummer for like ten minutes. Yeah, um, got all the shit re-recorded. Sad. <laughs> well, it brought Taylor Hawkins in the fold. So Fact. God bless. 
Um, reaching the end of the album here, Homecoming, another five-part epic. This is more I, your I speed, I think. Here. Homecoming. Yeah, go, go love, through what you like, like about Homecoming. I feel like people don't talk about Homecoming enough. The death of St. Jimmy. I was like, just going to say. That. It's a dramatic moment. That's one of those, like, it, it ties a nice bow on the album. It's yep. like, all right, that character's gone. And then the Mike Durant parts, the Trey Cool. I love the Trey Cool part. Where oh, he's my just, God. I got a rock and roll band. <laughs> it's like you, you hear, like, the Foxborough hot tub yes. come in at that moment. You know, Absolutely. It gets fun. And just then, the fun, punky shit. Like, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. And then coming home again is just kind of like the, another, like, big rock, big anthem. Great way to close the album. Like I said, I kind of consider this, like, the close. The Why final isn't chapter. this the close? Because I, I do think What's-Her-Name works as, like, a, an epilogue in a way. Like, in, a, in a, like, you know, it's he's still thinking about What's-Her-Name. Even though it didn't work out, he's Fact. like, fuck, don't even, you know, remember her and name. And I wonder where what, by the way. I have one gripe on what's her name. He rhymes what's her name with what's her name. Oh, does he? Yeah, I remember her face, but does I can't. Or he rhymes, but I don't. Uh, but I can't remember her name. But I wonder how what's her name is. Ba- like it's like a this, name like, and name. Yeah, yeah, it's one of these weird things where like that's something I would get shit on if I was in a studio. Like, you rhyme <laughs> name with name. It's like a like a Reddit commenter. Like fuck yeah. you. But. Um, as far as homecoming goes, I do, like that to me is the end of the record. If I was pacing it or whatever. But then again, you just brought it up. What's your name is the end of the story. And it's like, what's your name would sound, obviously it, it, it looks back on the story of American Idiot, so it has to be the end. But like the actual sound of it sounds like the song that would close the record. Absolutely. It explodes at the end oh, like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good, like, and what the, the Black Parade yeah. like, influence there where it just, things start falling apart. And it's, it's like the end of a movie where like, you know, the heroes are doomed and the room's falling. Literally, apart yeah, books them. falling off shelves, yeah, pictures falling off that's walls. What, like, yeah. it's, it's like, like waiting for the impact and that's how the record ends. Yeah. It's a gorgeous end to the record and it, it's really one of my favorite like Green Day songs in general. Dude, goosebumps, yeah. swear to God. Yeah. Like I, they it, did this. There's. It's worth looking up. They did a VH1 Storytellers. When the it's amazing. Came out. It's so good. And it's. I think it's the one place where they did Homecoming and What's Your Name because in that they would obviously go through every track in the album. Yeah. And both are just fucking awesome. That Storytellers is one of the greatest storytellers yeah. of all time. The greatest, to be honest. To me, it's that the John Mayer Storyteller yeah. is hilarious because it is John Mayer at his absolute douchiest. This is <laughs> this is collarless leather jacket John Mayer where there's this moment where he's talking about, or he's playing the song, um, fucking Who Says I Can't Get, or Who Says oh, yeah, I Can't yeah. Get Stone. And he's in the middle of the song and he's, he, he's not explaining shit. And he just goes, plan a trip to Japan alone. And then in the middle of the song, he just goes, I actually did that. <laughs> and then he just continues the song. And he's just a douchebag, but he's awesome. But no, this was my favorite storytellers of all time. Yeah, You're right. My it's, favorite, yeah. It's fucking outstanding. And I mean, that caps off the record. Like, yeah. it's... Later, they would put, like, bonus tracks on it, I think. Right? Governator. Lifter, too Much Too Soon. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, it's... Yeah. Thank- Those are good. They're, like, all... um. They're all in American Idiot style, but like have nothing to do with the narrative. It w- they were good cuts. Yeah, they were good. That was good Agreed. cutting flu- cutting room floor material. If you added those, American Idiot almost becomes like I don't know. This is like a perfect record where like you look at it and you're like, I wouldn't cut one thing. Yeah, those you could say like, oh, absolutely. And I'm glad that they did cut them. Um, they I did. They did a, a cover album for this too. They did a Kerrang cover album. Neck that. Deep was on it. Five Seconds of Summer. Shut Bowling the fuck for up. Soup. Bowling for Soup did St. Jimmy. What? Yeah. 
Holy shit. State Champs did Welcome to Paradise. Oh, that's awesome. That's just as a bonus track. I was just going to say, did they do other, other songs? Like, yeah. And then the Swellers did Basket Case as a bonus track. That sounds pretty fucking cool. There's also a pop punk tribute to Green Day that uh, All Time Low is a part of, and they did a really cool version of Longview. I've heard that. They actually like, changed it up enough to where it like sounds like an All Time Low version. Would like Jack that. play that bass line? The, the, no, Jack. Zach would play Zach, it. Yeah. Zach, yeah. Yeah. And he, he changes it up like... Just a touch to where it's like it's still the iconic baseline. It's like you can't really change that, yeah. but it's just enough where it's like, oh, this kind of sounds all time lowish. All right, so real quick, let's pick pick favorites here. If I had the Jesus Suburbia, I've already said it is my favorite song on the yeah, record. Eliminate that. Eliminate like, that. that. Count. I gotta go. Give me Novocaine as far as song structure goes. Are we the waiting for the vibe? I fucking love that. I might have talked myself into what's her name. I was gonna say I go what's her name. It's so good. After, after Jesus of Suburbia, I go what's her name, and I might honestly go Homecoming after. I love Homecoming. I I feel like that's one of the more underrated Green Day songs. I mean, if I could take Are We the Waiting as St. Jimmy and put him as one, yeah, like a I, I, would, I would count him as one. They're one on Spotify. It's so goddamn so good. Like if I'm giving you a, a phone with no internet connection on, a, on yes. an island alone, yeah, you could still download those as. I'm like, dude, I'm even just like looking through here at these, those pictures, those pictures, the green era, the fucking aesthetic of this record was so good. Yeah. And there he is. Yeah. Right there playing Les Pauls. Cause you'll never, that's a Les Paul like standard too, which is not something he usually plays. He's a tiny dude. So he plays the, the, yeah, they're like the the specials. They look a little bit different. They're thin. Yeah. And he always plays things with like these weird fucked up basic pickups. Like the Ramones. I love, which totally inspired me as a bass player, which has made playing bass much harder. Billy Joe always just at his guitars at his knees. Is you know? oh I hate, uh, yeah you are that dude. <laughs> I love though. doing that shit. <laughs> does he? Does Mike there play a P bass or a, a jazz bass? I think his own P bass. Yeah, it makes sense. And and it's a fucking sweet bass. I like the way it's not uh, rounded around yep. the edges. It's kind of more jagged. And he's got such a good stage presence as far as bases. There's like all the iconic pictures. Yesterday was his birthday actually. I saw Happy a birthday, Billy Joe Mike post about that. Um, all those iconic pictures of him like. Leg up, kicking in the air, and it's like, bro, you're 50, and Can you're I still getting hanged on. What is it about bass players that, for some reason, they're the ones who age like a fine wine? Like it's Duff McKagan, Getty Lee, Getting Lee, yeah, Duff Getty McKagan Lee looks great for 20, 30 well, years. I think that Duff McKagan and uh, Mike Dirt might be the same person. Duff McKagan is one of the only rock stars that like still looks cool at his age. Absolutely, because like, look at Axel right now. Yeah, he, Axel, he still has his good nights. He right. has his off nights. Has his good nights. He doesn't look like no, Axl Rose. Axl like, Rose used to look like a bad. He looks like Axl Rose if Axl Rose was melting. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that's a great way to put it. Duff McKagan looks badass. Duff McKagan looks like he could fuck you up in a bar still. Uh, Kenny Carkey said this on the podcast one time that he was he spent time. Like, he knows those guys. Yeah. Like, he does. And uh, saying, like, the most beautiful family you will ever see. Want like, to hear something fucking crazy about yes. that? We used to have someone that worked here produce the act, Colby. Everyone loved Colby. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Right? He... Went to uh, MSG the night Guns N' Roses were there. I was there. Yeah. Me and my brother in. Him and his brother outside just trying to get a, a, someone's attention, trying to get tickets. Yeah. And Duff McKagan's fucking wife spotted them as Guns N' Roses fans and were like, you guys trying to get into the show? And they were like, yeah. She's like, I can get you in. They didn't know who she was at this point. That's they, they so don't know what fucking Duff awesome, dude. Like, she fucking brought him in and brought him to the floor. So you saying that doesn't surprise me at all. That's the only story I'd ever heard about in his family, and they sound like the coolest. I got more bass players popping my head now. Flea in great, yeah. although all the food fighters are in pretty good shape. 
the chili peppers. Chili peppers, what the fuck am I talking yeah. about? Yeah, you're right. Keep Anthony Kiedis still is like taking a shirt off on stage and he's jacked. I did you brought food fighters. I think a Nate Mandel just looks like he's a fucking accountant. Like he he's does. the most accountant like looking he could guy ever. Your computer. Absolutely. He looks like <laughs> he's sound, always he, looked like he, he looks could like he runs an enterprise rent a car. Like he's just <laughs> friend of the pod, Chris Shiflet. Another guy who always looks cool. Just a handsome motherfucker. Yeah. Like, I love you, Chris. I really do. Yeah. Um, Pat Smears aged pretty well. He kind of looks the same for... I feel like they might have cryogenically frozen him for a while because he actually looks the same as he... But, like, someone who's lived a lot of rock and roll years. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I he, like he, there's uh, Foo Fighters Pat Smear and there's Nirvana Pat Smear. And, and they, they yeah. look, like, two totally different Oh, 100%. <laughs> One was far more haggard and exhausted. Yeah. Um, maybe... They're always smiling. Both, both of them. You see Pat Smear. He's always on stage like... Yeah. You know what was nice? I saw pictures of the Foo Fighters side stage at Chili Peppers at Jazz Oh, Fest. I saw they, that. They all had smiles on their faces. It was like the silence from them has made me be like, oh, I hope they're fucking okay. But seeing them all smiling, yeah. it was like, all right, they're going to be okay. I, did, I predicted this uh, on the episode after Taylor's passing. I think if they go back out on the road at any point, I think I'll talk to you about this. I think Chad Smith will wind up being the one who's I said the them. same thing, yeah. And after seeing and that it's, tribute... It's interesting because they got different... Definitely different feels. Absolutely. But Chad, I believe, can play every Foo Fighters song. Absolutely. They can't do the background vocals, though. That's, that's true. That's something tough that you lose, because Taylor is so fucking good. Well, it's like Shiflet can. Shiflet can, absolutely. If, if he and wants to pick up the slack, like, he's got a very good voice. They're Rami, the dude who does their keys, yeah. too. Like, they, they have got... And they uh, had the girls doing, doing it for the years. It absolutely. Was just, you had the difference with, like... Got the three girls who were awesome, and then right. you got Taylor and Dave going back and forth. But it's also They'll never replicate that though. So it's like I think yeah, maybe, maybe you don't even try. Chad Smith, maybe Jason Bonham. I don't know. Like I feel like yeah, he's a higher gun. Like he might do something like that. Like yeah. there, there are names, but I think this leads us into saying the next album we need to do needs to be a Foo Fighters album. Oh, I'm down. I would do any Foo Fighters. Album. I think we have to do a Foo Fighters album next. Yeah. And uh, I, my boot would probably be wasting light, but I, we should bring Dave on for that just because. The original take of like Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. And just be like, let's talk about how much of a master Dave Grohl is. Yeah. All of his trades. We, <laughs> maybe we can get shipping involved for that. That'd be awesome. Maybe. Um, uh, but that'd be kind of weird though to be like, yeah. hey, I want, I want, want exactly your opinion on everything that happened during the making of this album. He'd be like, dude, I fucking heard those songs ten trillion times. Yeah, I don't want to talk about these anymore, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, all right. So we'll do Wasting Light by Foo Fighters next. Awesome. That'll be the next uh, classic album review. But this was the classic album review. Of American Idiot by Green Day. Hopefully brought back some uh, nostalgia for people 2004 all over again. Let's go put on some fucking makeup and throw a red tie. Yeah. There you go. <laughs>